0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. The Alpha Series continues. Today, First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun examines the manual for life for all followers of Jesus. If you've ever wondered about what the Bible is about, this message is for you. We continue our Alpha
1: Course Series on the basics of the Christian faith faith with today's topic of why and how should I read the Bible. And this past week, you know, I was researching what literary books have sold the most copies. And I was surprised to see that number one spot goes to Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. I don't even know if I read that. Maybe it was required for school. That's why they sold 500 million copies. Number two is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. 200 million copies sold. Number three, Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien, 155 million copies sold. Number four. The Little Prince. How many of you have read that? Huh? Huh? 142 million copies. And number five, rounding it all out Harry Potter and The Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. 125 million copies sold. However, did you know? Those are the literary books. Uh, did you know that the Bible is the best selling book of all time, of all categories, of all genres, having sold five? Billion copies to date. Amazing. And according to Lifeway Research Society, for Americans alone, 87% say they own a Bible. Do I hear a hallelujah on that? Hallelujah. 80% believe that the Bible is sacred. Do I hear an amen? amen? In fact, each American owns an average of three to four copies. Do I hear, bless them, Lord? Now, interesting, 77% of Americans feel uh, that the nation's morality is going downhill. But the majority of the country, at 52%, believe the Bible is a good source of morals. And so one would think if you believe that the country is going downhill and believe that the Bible is a good source of morals and ethics and is sacred, then one would assume the Americans read the Bible voraciously. And the answer is, nope, Uh uh-uh. Only 22% of Americans say they read the Bible on a regular basis, meaning, uh, regular basis meaning, uh, four or more times a week. 35% admit they own the Bibles, but they've never opened it. So this is kind of a disconnect, isn't it? Now, I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty, okay? This is, that would not be helpful. But I am here to empathize with you all that Bible reading is not easy for all people, especially for those starting out especially for those who are super busy. And I know at times the Bible is difficult to understand. I know it's hard to prioritize to make time to read it. Uh, But I hope by the end of this talk that maybe, maybe some of you might join the 22% and start reading the Bible regularly. And so we go back to the title of this talk, Why and How Should I Read the Bible?, And that's a fantastic question that leads to many questions of doubt. And and clearly, I don't have time to make all uh, agnostics into converts on this topic, nor non-Bible readers to become literate activists, Uh, but let me try to walk uh, you through some of the basics. If five billion Bibles have been sold, then something is special about the Bible— In fact, Christians believe that the Bible is a collection of books written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, 100% human authors, but 100% inspired by God. Well, no problem, you say, that there were 40 different authors. But how do I know the authors were really, really inspired by God, and if so, why should I even read the Bible? If you're asking that, good question. So let's try to go step by step and look at this in four main ways. First, is the Bible reliable? Now, I know Pastor Chris Pan um, in a previous sermon mentioned some of this, but I want to underline some of it. There are so many ancient manuscripts that corroborate that the stories in the Bible are at least accurate historical writings that have been copied correctly over the centuries. Roman historian Tacitus wrote the Annals of Imperial Rome in 116 AD and it was copied in 850 AD. That's 730 plus years later. And we only have one copy of it today And most people believe Tacitus existed. Now, you've heard of the name Josephus, the Jewish historian. He wrote the historical book called The Jewish War in the first century. And we have nine copies of that. But they were written 1,000 to 1,200 years later. And the world believes those copies are accurate. When you get to the New Testament Greek manuscripts, there are not just nine copies, but more than 5,000 copies. Next to the New Testament, only Homer's Iliad comes in second with 650 Greek manuscripts, and those manuscripts, get this, were written 1,000 years later. Yet society believes Homer and the Iliad exists. Almost every American believes Alexander the Great truly lived, but the two earliest biographies of Alexander were written more than 400 years after his death in 322 BC. Uh, I've been to his grave, and people say, that's his grave. Do people agree Jesus' tomb is in Jerusalem? And yet some people question the Bible, even though there are so many manuscripts. And in fact, they were written no more than 30 years after Jesus' death. Just 30 years, not centuries later. The Christian belief in the resurrection can be dated to within two years of the event. Yet for other non-Christian articles, if something is written 500 to 600 years later, it is seen as acceptable and historical fact. When one looks at the four Gospels in the New Testament, which are the four biographies of Jesus, I agree that you do find some discrepancies. Now, does that mean they're false, or does it actually lead credence that they, uh, or lend credence, that they are not fake? I think of Simon Greenleaf of Harvard Law School. He's arguably one of history's uh, most important legal figures, and the author of a major treatise on how to evaluate what would would be called true evidence. And after studying the consistency among the Bible's four gospel writers, Harvard's Greenleaf offered this summary judgment. He said, there's enough of a discrepancy to show that there could have been no previous concert among them, and at the same time, such substantial agreement as to show that they were all independent narrators of the same great transaction. Now, you can find a lot of this information summarized in a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. So our first question is, is the Bible reliable? The second question we we might ask is, if it is reliable, is the Bible a map for life? Now, I think most people love a treasure hunt. That is why we love movies like Goonies, and National Treasure, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, or the locally produced Finding Ohana. And the Bible is a map as to how to live life to the fullest, to discover how and why we were designed by God. Francis Collins, the former director of the National Department of Health and the head of the Genome Project that unlocked the secrets of the DNA, said... When does life begin? When does the soul enter? That's a religious question. Science is not going to be able to help with that. If we have questions about our soul and the purpose of life, the Bible will answer that. Science can tell us what happens or how it happens, but it doesn't always answer the questions of why. Science doesn't answer questions of ethics or morality. The Bible does. It's just that a minority of people read it and follow it. When we look at the universe, there is a mystery. It makes us think of intelligent design by a loving God. Uh, We may doubt that. Or as Albert Einstein once said, a legitimate conflict between science and religion cannot exist, Religion without science is blind, and science without religion is lame. The Bible gives us clues to the universe in a supernatural way, and God is the creator behind the creation. But you say, the Bible has so many writers. Dan, you say, the, the Bible inspired is inspired by God, but the Bible had at least 40 authors over a period of 1600 years. So yes, it was written by kings and poor people and prophets and poets and fishermen and tax collectors and philosophers and statesmen and historians and a physician. And the genres are poetry and prophecy and letters and history. So how can all of that be inspired by just one God? Good question. Now, as you all know, uh, I love London. And in London, I get to see the works of one of my favorite architects, Sir Christopher Wren, who lived in the 1600s and the 1700s. And he was the architect for St. Paul's Cathedral, where Pam and I almost got robbed by three guys, but that's a different story. (laughs) It is gorgeous. Look at that slide. It took 36 years. Um, No, it took 50 years. It took 10 years to design and about 40 years to um, be built. So Sir Christopher Wren, quote unquote, built St. Paul's Cathedral. But actually, he didn't lay a single stone And he didn't hammer a single nail. He had stonemasons and carpenters and construction builders involved over 50 years. But Christopher Wren was the architectural inspiration behind it all. So see, same with the Bible. Many different writers or builders, but just one architect behind it all, one inspiration from God. And if I might, I'd like to add a practical thought. If God is the creator, the architect of our bodies and souls, then his blueprint for an awesome supernatural life is none other than the Bible. The Lord gave us the Bible, his architectural plan, so to speak, to tell us how to live optimally. And if God tells us in writing of how to live life as we were um, designed optimally to live, we would be crazy not to read his directions on how to live an outstanding life. Hear this. It's literally a matter of life and death. He gives us a cause for living. He tells us how to have strength in the midst of turmoil and peace in the depths of a storm and how to have love for the unlovable and forgiveness for ourselves and others. Let me go off script a bit. You know, yesterday I was having a conversation with a woman who who tragically, years ago, um, was attacked and beaten up, and it took her a year of lying in the bed uh, to recover. In fact, she had to relearn, if you can believe this, how to speak again. Um, She couldn't even get the English words right. She was that traumatized. So I asked her this pointed question. I said, you know, I know you're still a faithful follower of of Christ. And how how does that work? Because I know many people, when bad things happen in their lives, they say, oh, God didn't protect me. Forget it. I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to be a nun or a dun or an exile, and that's it. Why did you s- stay in there, in the faith? And she said, related to our topic, because she knew of the principles and truths in the Bible. And she was taught that as a young, as a young girl. And she clung to that. And then, number two, she said, You know, I I learned, as a follower of Christ, that we're called to have courage. And when she said that, I felt like a lump in my throat. Like, yeah, we're called to have courage in this earth. And then the third thing she said was, I know because of my faith that the story is not over. Even after that horrible incident, the story's not over. And you know what? Today, her full-time ministry is to fight for those who have been trafficked, for those who have been abused. The story's not over. And she has great empathy. And so God shows us in the Bible these principles and how we should not be weary in doing good, not giving up. He, he tells us all All this through narratives and poetry and parables and prophecy and apocalyptic writings to encourage and help us and remind us of why we're here and why we should have courage. In the Bible, we have the operating manual from God on how to live. Now, what does that mean? You know, um, I drive a Nissan Leaf. That's an electric car. And if I want to get the most mileage out of it, I desperately need to read the car manual. I need to know how to best recharge the car, uh, what time of day is the best to recharge, um, how to recharge, how much pressure I should have in the tires so that they will last longer and give better um, um, overall mileage, and how and when I charge my car affects the electricity bill in the entire house. In a sense, the Bible gives us the advice and the commandments on how to live a life where you will always be recharged, so to speak, and it won't be by money or fame or accomplishments, for they can all disappear with the wind, but rather be charged by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. God tells you in writing how to walk to the beat of a different drummer and drum with a spirit-filled soul. It's a spirit who talks to you when you read the Bible. And how should you live? As the Bible says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I think we've all tried to live by our own power, but it's not enough. We can run out of gas. We can get depressed. We can despair. We, We can just basically be lost without clear direction. We definitely need God's power to make it through the hard and difficult world. We need a compass. And if you think you don't need one, that might be a little too prideful. We need to find the North Star or the Bethlehem Star when things get dark. And the Bible is a wealth of deep and simple truths of how to live. It's our manual for living. So, How should we then live? And how should we then read the Bible? Now, if there's any generation in civilization that has the tools to read the Bible, it is our generation. I mean, I agree. Reading the Bible is not always easy. It's written in a language or in a way that's not always simple and clear. It is not like a John Gresham or a Narnia or a J.K. Rowling book. But many might say, okay, I wanna start reading the Bible, but I don't know how to begin. Well, find a Bible version you like, and there are many. So that's a big blessing and benefit in this, in this day and age. And if you're starting out, you know, I personally, it'd be great to have the Life Application Study Bible, and for an easier translation it is the New Living um, Translation. And I, I think it's cool when you come to church, not digitally reading on the phone, but if you had a Bible, and you underline it, and you write in the margin, and it's a great thing to, to have for the future. I always say, if, if there's a house fire, um, I want to get my laptop and my Bible. Those are the two precious things, because <laughs> I've written so many notes in it and underlined so much. So let me suggest some practical ways, okay? We're not just gonna talk theoretical today. First, join one of our churches' Just Show Up groups to listen to the Bible with others. Um, all you have to do is just show up. No prior reading and one joins in a Zoom group or in person and you sit and listen to a reading of scripture and their sound effects and orchestration for about 30 minutes. And you will discover just by listening to the Bible, um, you can read it, and it can change your life, and you will hear and think of things you never thought about before. The Holy Spirit will be, pre- will be present and guide you. And get this? In just 80 hours, you will have heard the entire Bible. And I think over a year, that's a relatively short time. And the advantage of just show up is that you do it with others. It helps keep you accountable because we all like to get away from disciplines. And we found community groups, like when one does diets or exercises or in a recovery process, it is better in a group than by doing it by yourself for it's often easier to quit. So just check out the Hawaiian Islands Ministries or the First Pres website for the meeting times. Second... You can use many of the Bible apps available through Uversion. And on your phone or laptop, um, you can read it there. And in fact, I was talking to the founder of you, Uversion the other day. And get this, he told me that there are now 500 million devices using um, Uversion. So you can be uh, the 500 million plus one person using it. There's so many devotionals and Bible readings offered out there, and many in our church, like an app called Pray As You Go. And it's contemplative with great, soothing spiritual music, and it gives you a chance to meditate on certain passages. I'm told some of our people uh, use it while they're exercising or doing yoga at home. Cool. Cool. Then there's B-I-O-Y for Bible in One Year. And that app is produced by the Alpha Course people. And if you listen to it every day, you'll get Bible passages in the Old and New Testament and a little commentary by Alpha Course developer Nikki Gumble and his wife, Pippa. And it allows you to check off what passages you read for the day. And you know a new version, you know, for me personally, I love the NIV, New International Version, UK. British version of David Suchet, uh, the actor who plays Hercule Poirot um, in the Agatha Christie Ministries. And at just 78 hours later, no sound effects or orchestration, uh, you'll have read the entire Bible. 78 uh, eight, uh, hours over 365 days is not a lot. And then there's an app called Bible tracker, where you can check off all of the chapters you've read in your lifetime so that you know when you've read the entire Bible and that you're not reading the same passages over and over and over again. Okay, final question. Is the Bible a love letter? Yes. The big message is from God saying, I love you. The entire Bible is one. Big love letter from God to to us, telling us how much the Lord loves us, and he will sacrifice for us, and he will listen to us. He says it plainly in one of the last books in the Bible, in a letter um, by the Apostle John, which we call 1 John. And here are these verses from the Bible that is part of his love letter to us all. In, In the fourth chapter, it says, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. In the 16th verse. So we've known and believed the love that God has for us. And then um, in the 14th verse, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Then in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, Another indication of a love letter, a beautiful love message in the 41st chapter, and you've heard me say it before, where God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will lift you up with my victorious, powerful right hand. And then finally, in the book of Jeremiah, in the 29th chapter, in the 11th verse, And 12 and 13, God says, for surely, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come pray to me and I will hear you. And when you search for me, you will find me if you seek with all of your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord. Do you hear the love and the compassion that is pouring out of God's heart from the Bible to you? But the central part of his love letter is that when he made planet Earth, and even though Adam and Eve messed up, sinned, and sent a contagious, sinful virus throughout the world, the antidote would be that God himself would come to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ and redeem the world. That famous verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God would come to earth in the form of Jesus to again teach us about love his love, and the love we should have for each other. And we see in Jesus what God is like. He loves the poor and the rich. He he loves the downhearted, the sick, the traumatized, the grieving, the children, the adults. He stands with them and tries to protect them and heal them. And when we experience God, not just read his love letters, but are led to get to know him, we find it is so intimate and personal. In Psalm 139, the writer speaks of this experience of feeling the love of God. And I would suggest right now, online and here in person, if you just close your eyes and let these loving words wash over you as I read them. Hear this from Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and I when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. go before me and follow me you place your hand of blessing on my head such knowledge is too wonderful for me too great for me to understand I can never escape from your spirit I can never get away from your presence if I go up to heaven you're there if I go down to the grave you are there If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Amen. You know, whenever I read Psalm 139, I think of the children's book, The Runaway Bunny, where a little bunny tells his mom that she's going to run away and will hide from her and become a rock on a mountain or a fish or a crocus in a hidden garden or a bird or a sailboat or a circus acrobat or a little boy. But in the end, he resigns himself to not run, but to be loved by his mom as her little bunny. There might be some people here today who have been running from God by not reading his love letters or rejecting them or maybe in utter disappointment, emotionally ripping them up. And maybe they or we have at times tried to hide from God and take on different forms as tough guy, macho man, or tough gal, Amazon woman, who doesn't need help from nobody. And maybe we try to swim away from God like a fish in the deepest ocean or um, become hardened like a rock on a mountain, a bird that tries to fly away, or a critical crocus to God, or an acrobat who twists and turns away from God's grasp. But maybe today is the day when we say, okay, enough running away. I want to read God's letter, his love letter. And I want to really read the Bible and apply his love to my life. And this is the day we stop running and read and to get to know the living, loving God who, who left for us his way on how to live the best designed life for us, so that one day we can say, "How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God?" They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Bottom line, Lord, the Bible is a love letter from from you, and we desperately need to get to know you better. Lord, there may be some people online or here in person who are saying, golly, I really do need to get back into the, the work of reading your love letters. And there may be some here who say, I want to begin this journey of knowing you as a real Lord and friend forgives me in every way and is so for me and I'm tired of being a runaway bunny Lord if there are people here in the sanctuary or online who are right there who say okay I want to get to know you Lord and I want to be committed to that may they just say this simple prayer with me And may this be the beginning of the journey. To basically say a prayer of sorry and thank you and please. So, if you're there, anyone here or online, in the silence of your heart, say this prayer with me. Lord, here I am. I want to write a new chapter. But first, Want to say sorry. Sorry that maybe I've ignored you. Sorry I was really mad at you and didn't want to talk to you. Sorry for some of the things I've done in my life. But thank you. Thank you for always reaching out to me. Thank you for trying to reach me even when. I purposely am deaf to you. Thank you, as your Bible says, that you forgive me no matter what I've done or will do. And so please come into my life. Send your Holy Spirit to dwell in me. And I want a living, ongoing loving relationship with you. And I want to commit my life to you right now so I can know that I can have that courage and know that the story hasn't ended. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. If you have made that prayer for the first time, or maybe it was kind of a recommitment, I would recommend that part of our faith journey is we like to make a statement. Sometimes in the past, people, when they make contracts, that they, you know, they write their name on a dotted line. But for those of you online, it would just be, hit the button, says, I commit my life to Christ. And I would also suggest, hit the button, says, I want to pray with someone, because it's just good to pray and seal that and that's just part of the compassion and the accountability. That would be really great. And then here in, in the sanctuary, if you made that um, commitment, you know these commitments are important, whether recommitment or first time. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something. Just very might be scary to you, but these things are important because it's saying a stake in the ground. Could you just raise your hand if you made that commitment and? as a recommitment or a first-time commitment? Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. And Lord, you saw their hands and you saw their hearts. So bless them. Draw them close to you. After the service, by the way, we do have a, a prayer ministry right out through the glass doors, and you can go there and And uh, whatever your needs may be, it may not have to do with this decision, but whether it's spiritual, physical, or emotional, the prayer team would love to pray for you and keep it confidential. And again, before my final blessing, if uh, some of you would like prayer, just go out through that back door over there and Chris Pan and others will will be there. And for those of you who have alpha groups, that's right after. Um, And so you could go in those uh, connect groups and be in discussion about the, uh, the sermon today. And now hear this uh, wonderful blessing for you all. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. God bless. Oh, hoi ho. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
0: The Bible is a living, breathing document of the who, what, where, when, and why of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Pres sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. There's good news! First Prez is back to worshiping in person, and there's no sign-up necessary. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus. And of course, the services will be streamed live online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember to sign up on the website for First Prez emails, for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.